Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. So I wanted to talk today about, well, there's many things going on, uh, but I wanted to talk about the Matt Taibbi story um, where he got some internal emails from Twitter. And, uh, and specifically, it looks like uh, Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk. And he Matt fleshed out what was already known, which is that before the 2020 election, Twitter, like other social media platforms, including Facebook, uh, censored uh, the sharing of stories of Biden's laptop, um, the contents of which contained a lot of, you know, salacious material that was none of anyone's business. And I, I think, you know, um, was not of any public concern, like Hunter Biden's drug problems and sex life. I don't think that's anything we had any business knowing about. But the part that was of public interest was his business dealings and specifically to the extent Hunter Biden leveraged his family connections to make money and the extent which his father may have been aware of that, despite publicly claiming that he wasn't. Especially relevant uh, given the Biden's role in Ukraine, where Hunter Biden got a really lucrative board seat on a gas company not long after his father's administration helped back a coup uh, and went on to play a very influential role in Ukrainian politics. So that aspect of Hunter Biden's dealings is certainly in the public interest. And when New York Post got information from a laptop that Hunter Biden had left at a uh, computer repair shop in Delaware, the social media giants responded by censoring it. And Matt Taibbi has just gotten some internal emails from Twitter detailing how that went down. And look, a lot of it is mundane. It's not as explosive as I think some people were expecting, but it's still really interesting. It's like it's important to learn how it is that a story of this public significance was censored and suppressed and why. And um, one of the emails, for example, shows that a, um, a Twitter executive named Yoel Roth uh, is trying to justify censoring the dissemination of the story. And he writes this, the policy basis is hacked materials, though, as discussed, this is an emerging situation where the facts remain unclear. Given the severe risks here and lessons of 2016, we're erring on the side of including a warning and preventing this content from being amplified. So that's a very, I think, damning message because here's a Twitter executive admitting that the facts are unclear. So they don't actually know what the facts are, but yet they're treating these, uh, the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop as hacked material, uh, not on any actual information, but just from what they learned of 2016, where, or when I should say, the U.S. government told them that Democratic Party emails were hacked by Russia, but actually whether they were hacked or leaked is very much still, I think, up in the air. Uh, we've never seen any actual evidence that Russia hacked those emails from the Democratic Party. And the evidence that we have seen, I think, undermines the case that Russia did it. But regardless, Twitter uh, is, uh, is is seen here to be basically acknowledging that they don't even have the facts on their side. But just because of how the Russian allegation was used to suppress or taint reporting on the Hillary Clinton Democratic emails... They're trying to basically uh, use that to justify suppressing hack or materials exposing more democratic corruption here. So that's a, one example of many that I thought of messages that were very interesting that show just how baseless this act of suppression was. And recall that you know this wasn't just about 
uh, censoring a story that's inconvenient to a Democratic Party politician. But also, you know, to do this, U.S. intelligence officials, current and former, justified this by invoking the boogeyman of Russia and saying, oh, this could Russian disinformation operation. So because of that, we have to suppress the story. And this was a message that was drummed home to the U.S. public where they were constantly told that these Hunter Biden emails and laptop material all just could be the product of Russia. So just a couple of examples going back to uh, from the fall of 2020 when this emerged. So this, for example, is uh, CNN's Wolf Blitzer speaking to Adam Schiff, who's the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Federal authorities, including the FBI, are investigating whether recently published emails that purport to deal, uh, to, to detail, I should say, the business dealings of Joe Biden's son, Hunter, are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort targeting the Biden campaign in the days leading up to the election. Let's discuss with the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Does it surprise you at all that this information Rudy Giuliani is peddling uh, very well could be connected to some sort of Russian government disinformation campaign? Well, we know that this whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Uh, that's been clear for well over a year now that they've been pushing this uh, false narrative about the vice president and his son. Uh, and, you know, the idea that the president, um, that the White House counsel and others were made aware that Giuliani was being used by Russian intelligence uh, and using Russian intelligence in the sense of meeting with an agent of the Kremlin and pushing out this Kremlin. The idea that they were knowing uh, and still on the floor of the Senate during the impeachment trial, uh, pushing this Kremlin narrative is pretty breathtaking. But I guess at this point, we can't be shocked by anything this administration does, no matter how craven. Uh, but clearly, the origins of this whole uh, smear uh, are from the Kremlin. And the president is only too happy to have Kremlin help in, in trying to fight it. So there you have it. Any, basically, uh, any information that paints Democratic Party leaders in a negative light, that points their corruption, whether it's the emails of 2016 or Hunter Biden's laptop in 2020, it all comes back to the Kremlin. It's a great way to deflect uh, attention from where it belongs, which is on the content of this material, and instead make it about some uh, foreign plot to undermine democracy, which has worked very well. And it's an example of the Russiagate playbook. We talk about the Russian playbook a lot as if one exists. This is the Russiagate playbook is basically use the boogeyman of Russia to deflect scrutiny from domestic corruption. And here's just one more example. And I won't play, this won't be as long a clip. But this is James Clapper, uh, you know, using his uh, authority as a former senior intelligence official to say the same thing also on CNN back in 2020. Well, source matters, uh, and the timing matters uh, a lot, I think. And to me, this is uh, just classic uh, textbook uh, Soviet-Russian uh, tradecraft at work. Uh, the Russians have analyzed the target. They understand that the president and his enablers uh, crave uh, dirt on Vice President Biden, whether it's real or contrived, that doesn't matter to them. And so all of a sudden, two, two and a half weeks before the election, uh, this laptop appears somehow uh, without and uh, emails on it without any metadata. 
Celestia Clapper saying this is classic textbook Soviet Russian trade to work. Basically, anything can be blamed on Russia. And uh, so amazingly, um, or I, I shouldn't say amazingly because th- this is just par for the course now. So many journalists went along with this scam. It's just pretending that this Hunter Biden laptop was somehow possibly the work of Russia. Therefore, we can't report on it. We can't acknowledge it. And we can't concern that this story is being censored in a country that's supposed to respect free speech rights. So now Matt uh, comes along and he gets some emails. He got them from Twitter. Uh, looks like Elon Musk was the, was the source. And Taibbi posts a thread. I think it's a very balanced thread. He's talking about actually that, in fact, both parties, both Democrats and Republicans abused um, their access to Twitter to get stories censored. And uh, the response he gets from other media professionals, I hesitate to call them journalists because I don't think some of these people are actually in the in the uh, game of journalism at this point. They're just there to advocate for their own partisan interests. Uh, they freak out at him and they accuse him of doing PR for Musk and uh, they accuse him of selling out and what happened to Matt Taibbi. And really, he's just shedding looks on internal documents, which is like the lifeblood of journalism, on a really important story. And you don't have to like Elon Musk to recognize that. This is just It's just a fact that Twitter did this was co-opted into a Russiagate disinformation campaign in suppressing this by blaming all this on Russia. And so it's important to learn about what happened. And, you know, one of the interesting insights for me is that a very senior official in the Trump-Russia investigation, uh, Jim Baker, who was a former uh, counsel for the FBI, he was involved in suppressing the story while working for Twitter. So he went from the FBI to Twitter and he helped suppress the story. So not only did Jim Baker help bring us Russiagate, uh, back in 2016, but then later on, he helps invoke the Russian boogeyman to suppress censorship, to suppress reporting on another story that is damning for a uh, for a Democratic politician. And just to underscore my point that anything can be laid at the Kremlin's door to distract from domestic corruption. I want to play a clip today. This is uh, in a different vein, but it's but it's similar to the theme here of Nadim Zahawi. He is a conservative member of parliament in the UK. And this is his message to strikers uh, who are asking for better pay inside of, of Britain. He urges them to reconsider and by invoking what, who else but Russia. Those would have uh, uh, spiked to support businesses as well. Uh, the money we're putting into helping those most vulnerable, uh, the 8 million most vulnerable households um, is significant. We have to come together. This is not a time to be divided to, I hope, send a very clear message to Mr. Putin that he can't use energy as a weapon in this way, and we will remain united, which is why we've accepted accepted the pay review bodies on I guess, the NHS uh, I guess and people, on schools. You know, a nurse on 20 grand a year, you, you would think that maybe there were other ways of sending Putin a clear message on Ukraine rather than the fact that you're going to have to well, no, have a real-term take-up. No, but we've accepted. So that's a, a conservative member of parliament in the UK asking nurses to accept a pay cut uh, and low salaries to send a message to Putin because asking for better wages is somehow a victory for uh, Vladimir Putin. And that is the kind of Russia mania that has taken over, um, you know, liberal political discourse in NATO states where just anything inconvenient can be blamed on Russia and any agenda that needs to be advanced 
can be done in the name of, of countering Vladimir Putin, whether it's suppressing a story that's embarrassing for a Democratic politician or telling nurses to accept lower wages. There's really nothing that can't be used uh, to, um, uh, to invoke Russia and, and to blame Russia for it. And uh, the freakout toward Matei is just, I think, really misplaced. Um, you can say that the story is not as, as explosive as maybe people expected it to be. You can say that you don't care about Twitter suppressing a story like this and that, you know, it was even fair to do because it helped defeat Donald Trump. If that's who you believe, I mean, all that's fine to believe, but to be hostile toward a journalist just for reporting the story based on documents that he gets, that's the part I don't understand. And it's odd. It's always odd to see journalists getting mad at other journalists for reporting a story that's based on authentic facts. Um, either the, either the facts are correct or not, and either Matt Taibbi renders them accurately or, or he doesn't. And that's what he should be challenged on if you want to challenge him, not on the act of reporting the story. And, uh, that is just part of the culture we're in where, um, it's become normalized to attack people who dissent from the party line, uh, from whatever the partisan uh, interest is of the day. So that's my rant. Uh, that's my rant about that. And I will open it up to calls now. And anybody who wants to call, please jump in. Right now, the queue is empty. And um, while people are lining up to call, and again, I really encourage you to do so because I cannot speak off the cuff like this for a full hour. Um, let me also address what is happening with Ukraine, where this week Biden said for the first time he'd be willing to meet with Putin, uh, which not a huge shift because he's not saying I'm going to take the initiative to meet with Putin, but at least the fact that he's welcoming it as a possibility, I think is uh, encouraging and a sign that I, I do think that Ukraine proxy war fatigue is, is sinking in. And I do think that if diplomacy is not pursued very quickly, it's about to get a lot uglier because Russia is mobilizing hundreds of thousands of new forces. And whether Biden intended to say that or not, whether that was a deliberate rollout, a deliberate sign to Putin that it's time to negotiate, I don't know. But um, I do hope it happens because as I wrote about last week, the uh, Russian attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure are escalating. They've you know avoided hitting Ukrainian infrastructure on a large scale for many, many months. But eventually, with Ukraine refusing to uh, essentially negotiate until Russia leaves, Russia did the predictable thing, which is escalate and attack civilian infrastructure, which is what invading countries do. It's what the U.S. did in Iraq and Serbia, and now Russia is doing it too. And as winter begins, it's only going to get much worse for people unless there can be a way to negotiate an end to this. And so uh, that's where it's at with uh, Ukraine. And I still don't see any callers. Is uh, Now, I have to ask, is anybody trying to call in and not, not able to? Or am I possibly not seeing it? Because now I have to wonder. We usually don't go this long without a caller. So... Um, yeah, well, I guess I'll just keep talking until someone calls, but that is odd. That is odd. Um, 
All right. Well, what else is going on? Iran apparently is abolishing the morality police. That's what I heard. But then, of course, that, that might not be the case. I don't know. I've heard conflicting things about that. Um, I think I think an official suggested that they're abolishing the morality police. But I guess at this point, we're still waiting for confirmation that they're actually doing that. And I wonder if that actually is a, an official move that we're doing that. I wonder how people who want regime change in Syria will respond to that because that's an example, if this turns out to be the case, of Iran actually responding to protests. And people who want to overthrow the Iranian government won't actually like that because they want to argue that Iran it doesn't listen to its people and this needs to be overthrown. That's the only answer. And so something like this will be a hindrance to that. So I, I'll be curious to see how they react to that if they do. And what else is happening in the world? And who doesn't want to call and could comment for me in the comments. Do you see callers in the queue? Cause I don't. And I'm confused as to why no one has called in yet. Cause usually there's a bunch of callers. So I'm wondering if this is an app issue or what. Oh, okay. People in the chat are, okay. I just checked on Twitter. People in the chat are saying that they've called and I just can't see them. Okay, that is an issue. That is a serious issue. Okay, thank you to whoever told me that on Twitter. Um, then I'm going to have to end this chat and start it again because I just don't see, I don't see these calls. And I don't think I can update this app. So thank you to whoever wrote me that on Twitter. I appreciate that. And I... I'm going to try to fix it. Yes, what I'm going to do, I'm going to end this room and start a new one immediately. So stay tuned, everybody, and and just join my next room. It'll be up in the next uh, minute or so. Okay, thanks for your patience. Okay, can you guys hear me now? Okay. Let's see if this works. I've just logged in from my computer, and let's see if this works. So, Jay, I'll take you, and let's see if you can talk to me. Jay, are you there? Jay, are you there? Okay, I'm going to try to take the next caller. Uh, okay.
Okay, sorry. I'm just trying to figure this out. Jay, can you speak? Okay, no. Let's let's take Heidi. Heidi, are you there? Hi. Can you hear me? Hey there. That worked. All right. Yeah, that worked. So what happened was, yeah, I'm on my computer and I guess this is working. So uh, this works. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I appreciate the uh, the view you take. And I realize that it's, you know, up your alley to, um, you know, look at the Russian, uh, whatever, blaming on Russia aspect of it. But the part I wanted to draw attention to was Ro Khanna's, um email where he complained it had something to do with uh, QAnon he basically said well, you know we all know that QAnon should be suppressed but you know let's let's really be uh conscious or uh basically he was he was raising the first amendment issue which of course I love but for him to um specifically point out that you know say say that is absolutely they should be concerned about the first amendment issue but say that uh QAnon should be suppressed my reaction to that was why we're all adults we can yeah. block QAnon if we want to they shouldn't be picking and they shouldn't be telling us who to listen to or who to, who to talk about in any sense so you know and i kind of feel the same way uh, about the whole alex jones thing you know like i realize that these things are repugnant to some people and that's fine they have the right to that opinion but there's no one who should be able to pick and choose who the rest of us get to listen to or get to talk about you know so i was it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. So I think yeah. it's, <clears throat> there's also the domestic issue of there, you know, the Democrats want to pit us against each other. They want the, you know, the Republicans, the MAGA people, the QAnon, you know, whatever, they want us fighting with each other. So we're not noticing how they're picking our pockets and fucking us up the ass. So that's, I just wanted to point that part out too. Well, fair enough. Look, I missed that part about uh, Ro Khanna asking for QAnon to be censored. And um, and can you hear me okay, Heidi? Mm-hmm. Okay. I can, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I missed that part. And uh, that is um, that is really silly. Uh, and because, because, again, either you believe in free speech or you don't. And um, the fact that some people give themselves the right to ban other people uh, is is just ridiculous. And look, it's like if you're going to ban QAnon, why not ban BlueAnon? Now, BlueAnon believed that Russia was blackmailing the president of the U.S. with a P tape. That's also a conspiracy theory, and it was a very damaging conspiracy theory. It's in fact a much more damaging conspiracy theory than anything that uh, QAnon, QAnon ever came up with. But nobody would ever think to to censor BlueAnon uh, because BlueAnon basically is the establishment media and the Democratic Party. Exactly. Were you able to, did you see the thing that um, Glenn Glenn Greenwald did? Uh, He had a video of Ira Glasser basically making a a point about censorship and how it's like a poison gas and the winds will change. Mm. I didn't see that. No, Uh, but it it uh, was good. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, thank you for the call. You bet. Thanks. Okay. The next caller is red. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Hi. My music's in the background. Can you hear that too? I can't hear it. No, you're good. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, so when you were, um, you're talking Hunter Biden's laptop, which was worth 
curiosity, I mean, at $83,000 a month or whatever for whatever that was, I mean, it's worth looking into. What is that? And, and what I find interesting also is that Victoria Newland and Anthony Blinken were there with CIA money all at the same time, right there at the end of 2013 and to 2014 to do that coup of Yanukovych, which was the democratically elected president of all of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But the Western Ukrainians cooed him. You know, I mean, it's just such a mixed bag of every of everything but we you know we won't we can't look you know i i hear george bush's the father's voice you know wouldn't be prudent mustn't look wouldn't be prudent <laughs> you know yeah that's right that's right so yeah yeah so you know what what are they doing in the cabinet now and what is all the protection about and what is you know if there's nothing scandalous why not just tell us what it is who's worth eighty three thousand dollars a month I think that was the figure, whatever the figure is. Uh, that he was, yeah. First, it was fifty thousand, but then actually, it looks like it was actually a lot more than that. It was, uh, it was eighty thousand. Hunter Biden was getting, and 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 the fact, that, and the fact that he got that job speaks to how central Joe Biden was to the U.S. control of Ukraine after twenty fourteen. The fact that he played exactly. such a role that they felt compelled to give his son a very lucrative board seat. It speaks to how powerful it was. And it's just amazing how much this one country of Ukraine has had an influence over U.S. politics now for six years because there were even Ukrainians involved in Russiagate. There were Ukrainians who basically openly campaigned against Donald Trump, wanted to stop him from winning because they thought he'd be bad for their interests. And they leaked some material that was used to get Paul Manafort fired, uh, which they wanted. So it's a very messy situation. And we still don't know we we still don't know the full details of what happened in 2014, the extent of U.S. involvement. And, you know, we still don't know what happened like, with that prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. And uh, it's 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 amazing. And now we've got this. Now we've got this war. And there's a lot what more to prosecutor. Find. What's his name? There was a prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. Yeah. The energy company, the Hunter Biden was on. Right, right, and right, right, right. And Joe Biden got him fired. Oh, I didn't remember right. that part. But Nobody how about the CIA, it. all the CIA money that went with them? You know, and yeah, I heard well, something at yeah. the time, you know, when it was supposedly an inside revolution, you know, all the laborers were, were uh-huh. rising, which is bullshit because it was Victoria Newland and, and Anthony Blinken and CIA money, you know, did that from outside. And, and something that was funny, which reminds me of American protests, is they said you could look at their shoes, you know, and it was the polished black leather shoes versus the other shoes yes yes you know the patent leather shoes or whatever it was yep yeah all right uh thank you for the call thank you okay uh m and let me just apologize to everyone who was waiting in the queue and that must have been very confusing when I was saying there was nobody in the queue line. I just couldn't see you in my phone thing. I, there's something wrong with my phone, I guess. Maybe I'm being hacked. But anyway, thankfully, this thing works on the web. So that's that's what we're using now. So uh, so go ahead, Em. Em, are you there? Hello, M. Okay, if not, 
I can see you're unmuted, but I can't hear you. So hopefully that is not an issue on my end. And if you work it out, you can come back in the queue and I'll let you back in to the, to the front of the line. Okay. Uh, Aaron, you're up next. Aaron, are you there? Okay, we will go. We will try John. Hey, Aaron, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Hey, Aaron. Uh, thanks for all the uh, excellent reporting. Uh, just one thing real quick about the QAnon uh, stuff. Um, <clears throat> it, what's interesting about uh, that is that uh, Rokon and Twitter have basically verified one of the main uh, paranoias that uh, QAnon has been saying that they're being suppressed. It actually only goes to strengthen their case, which I think is ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> but a uh, uh, second thing was, uh, I've heard, but I haven't heard a justification for uh, the vote that went to uh, break the strike. Um, people are saying that there's a case to be made that it was right to vote to break the strike. And I, I don't understand that. Have you heard about that? Okay, so the case for voting to uh, break the strike from Democrats, from like the squad, is that, okay, all right, so um, the uh, the strike is going to be broken. So the best we can do then is pass this other measure that gives them seven paid six days, like seven paid sick days. So, yes, Congress is going to force this contract, but we're going to give them seven paid sick days. Uh so but what I'm wondering is why that is, no on the first one and yeah, yes on the second. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think it's a good argument. And also the problem is once you once you decide that you're going to break the strike, then you <clears> just <throat> take away the only leverage the workers have. Uh, and, yeah. that, and, and that doesn't and then you're and then you're basically counting on Republicans to like feel like bad enough that they're going to give the paid sick days. But of course, Republicans aren't going to do that because they're they're um they're heartless and they don't care about workers so um i don't and so some people didn't you know like rashida talib she didn't vote for this and a few other democrats didn't um but i but the argument was like okay so this is going to be broken so we might as well just do our best within that constraint to give them the best we can which of course failed anyway um and right, now by the argument for the second vote but the first vote i'm still not seeing the justification for it yeah well look fair enough um, I think the justification they'll try is that, well, um, uh, you, know, you know, it also was, it, you know, I, I think AOC said that some union, le- some unions wanted this, that they asked, they asked for yeah. this, but I think, <laughs> right. but then the question becomes like, well, what is the union? Is it the union leadership or is it the membership? And the membership we know voted against it. The The leadership had a different opinion, but the question is, so who who actually represents the unions? And um, it's well, uh, it also brings yeah. up another question: What's why would they want to? Why would the union leaders want to break the strike? I don't that, I don't understand either. Well, they could say that this you know, given the reality, mm-hmm. that's the best they could do for their for their members, or you know, the more uh, skeptical point of view is that they they were just basically that they didn't represent their workers well. That they were whatever successfully intimidated or they were enticed and like whatever it is 
I mean, this happens a lot in these struggles, unfortunately. Right, but but no matter how you talk it, the the vote, the first vote was to break the strike, and I don't see any logic behind that at all. Yeah, Even yeah. Or taking taking the second vote completely out of consideration, I don't see in in any space that that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, uh, maybe someone who advocates for the squad could do a better job than me uh, of of representing what the case is, but I, but I certainly can't. So, um, so it, almost yeah. literally anybody else. <laughs> yes. 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 I, I yes. doubt that's true, by the way. I, I doubt they can't do a better job. <laughs> well, you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe there's something that we're not seeing here. And if anybody else in, in the chat today has the case to be made, I, I, I'd love to hear it. Um, thank you, John, for the call. And we have another John. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Hi. Uh, so, uh, Aaron, I'm a fan of yours. I watch your show, uh, Useful Idiots, um, and The Gray Zone on a fairly regular basis. So it's good opportunity uh, to call in today. Um, I just wanted to uh, make a statement about the Ukraine war, sort of where it's going, and then maybe a statement on electoral politics after that. Um, I think, personally, uh, in the initial stages of this war, Russia kind of bungled the war a little bit in the sense that um, they assumed that they were going to be able to receive some sort of negotiated settlement within two or three months. Uh, so if people remember, they went in with about 175,000 troops. That was most people's estimates uh, in the initial days. Um, they went in from the north, the east, and the south. Um, and they only stayed in from the north for a limited amount of time. They surrounded Kiev with about 75,000 troops or so which is not enough to take a city of 3 million people. And then after that, they pulled out of the north, uh, allegedly because they were seeking a peace negotiation through the Istanbul Convention, which fell through for a variety of reasons. You can give your own opinion. But then they had some success uh, with Lissy Chance, Severo, Donetsk, and Mariupol. And then I feel that they didn't mobilize troops Quite quick enough. They waited until sometime in mid to late September. And by that point, the Ukrainian army had been rebuilt and uh, made NATO uh, compatible. Um, so it created the narrative that Ukraine is winning and fighting against the uh, aggressive invader. But by this point, um, Bakhmut is becoming encircled. The Russians are having success on the south, the east, and the northeast of the city. And at this point, um, Ukraine is having difficulties. There's talk of surrendering Bakhmut. But the British Ministry of Defense is saying it's not militarily important. Um, and that's being repeated by several Ukrainian telegram channels. I'm wondering at this stage if Bakhmut is to fall. My opinion of the war is that it won't last too much longer. It probably won't last to December of next year. And that likely what will happen is 
Russia will use their mobilized troops to attain a permanent presence in the annexed territories. Yeah. And then by that point, there won't really be much of a point to continuing the war. Yeah. Because... Okay, John, I lost you there. I don't know if that's something on my end, but I've lost you. Um, so we're going to take the next caller. And uh, But thank you for sharing your perspective. I don't have much to add because I just don't have the uh, knowledge when it comes to these military affairs. So it, it's not really my place to comment. But thank you for sharing your perspective. And it, it, it all made sense to me. Anne, go ahead. Hi. Hi. Aaron, I... I feel like there's an echo. Okay, let me... Okay, you talk and I will mute myself while you speak. Okay. And let me see if I can do that on my com- computer. Uh, are you still hearing the echo now? Yeah, I, I, I am. Uh, I don't know why. All right, unfortunately, I don't see how I can mute myself because uh, I... I had to switch from my phone to my computer because I was having technical issues. So no. I, uh, unfortunately, I cannot mute myself. That's okay. That's okay. Shall I? There we go. I can mute now? myself. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to do it right now. Okay. Okay. So the reason I'm calling, and I apologize because the echo is still here to the people listening. Um, first of all, I think it's fantastic that Matt Taibbi uh, is pouring through these Twitter documents. And um, I applaud Elon Musk for, you know, releasing them to him and then also now to Barry Weiss. Um, but I, what I wanted to talk about is the mainstream media response and of course, as Clint Greenwald suggested, uh, the response was one of dismissing this as something that was already known. And uh, I, it, it's just so predictable. Uh, I want to reference the monk debate that Matt was in recently, and it was just amazing. Uh, the premise he was arguing was that the mainstream media should not be tested, trusted. And uh, there was an exchange with Michelle Goldberg where Matt said that Michelle had brought up the assistant to Donald Trump's campaign, campaign manager, Konstantin Kalimnik. And uh, she called him a suspected Russian agent. And Matt, of course, made the point that only you and he had actually called Kalimnik. That's correct. That is and, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> yes, we we were. And, uh, yeah. And uh, and they found out that he was actually a source for the U.S. State Department. And he mentioned that. Mueller did not contact him. Correct. No senators had contacted him. Correct. And um, so Michelle Goldberg was talking about the hallowed 
process of the mainstream media in yes. fact-checking. Yes. And, yes. and Matt said, well, it looks like the process is not working the way it used well, to. That's exactly right. And, then, and the reason why Constant Kalimnik, uh, why he's important is because, you know, the problem with Russiagate is if you look at it closely, there's actually not any Russians. There's all this talk of a conspiracy between Trump and Russia. But you look at it like, where are the contacts between Trump and Russia and especially Trump and Russian officials? There were some fake stories put out in the, in the New York Times. Like there was one story in February 2017 saying that U.S. intelligence has intercepted calls between Trump aides and senior Russian intelligence officials. It was a complete lie. Uh, Jim Comey even had to admit that it was a lie. So at Bandana Brushagate, uh, you had the Mueller report, which says actually after the election, uh, the Kremlin wanted to reach out to Trump, but they, they didn't know who to contact because they didn't have pre-existing contacts. And the reason why they didn't have pre-existing contacts is because they weren't actually uh, in a conspiracy. Imagine that. Um, and so they needed Kalimnik at the end to make Russiagate look credible because he's one of the few people in the Trump orbit, uh, and I use that term very loosely, who had a Russian passport. So that's when Constant Kalimnik all of a sudden became uh, known as a Russian spy even though Mueller never called him that, um, even though no U.S. intelligence agency ever called him that, but basically uh, people on the Senate Intelligence Committee decided that he was a Russian spy. And they did that because they needed him to look, make Russiagate look credible. And yes, I was one of the few people um, who actually called Kalimnik to get his side of the story. And one of the, one of the aspects of his side of the story is that the whole time that people like Michelle Goldberg believed he was a Russian spy, he was actually acting as a sensitive source for the State Department inside Kiev, including translating meetings between U.S. officials and Ukrainians uh, while he was um, in Ukraine. And so that's just um, an example of how there's been no interest at all in the basic facts of uh, Russiagate. And people like Kalimnik get used as instruments because they happen to be convenient to the narrative. So I'm glad that uh, I appreciate that Matt gave me a shout out for that at the Monk debate. That's, that's it's great. great. You should get the PDF, uh, the transcript of the Monk debate. It, okay. It's really, I will. And, and do you know that there was the greatest swing in audience uh, thinking mm. in the history, the 20 some year history of that debate? Because it started out with the audience 48% thinking the media should not be trusted yeah. and 52% thinking they should. And it ended up a 39-point swing so that 67% said the media should not be trusted. Um. Well, that's really uh, uh, that's encouraging. <laughs> that's yeah. Even though I'm a, even yeah. though I'm a, I'm a member of the media, I I, I am encouraged by that. <laughs> so, thank was. you, and thanks, Anne, for thank the call. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, Albert. Albert, are you there? If there's a, if you're there, there's a mute button. Should be in the bottom left to unmute yourself if you're using your phone. Albert going once. Albert going twice. Okay, Anthony. Good evening. Hi there. Yeah. Well, on a side track thing, um, I think the the squad who voted for the to break the strike. 
or pre pre break it. I think their argument would be that uh, it was just it would have been bad for commerce in general, and it was like a produce uh, union, something like they unpack produce or from trucks or something. I don't know, in grocery stores or terminals, and th- that's the one that asked AOC to do that. And her reason or Ryan Grimjob's reasoning was, oh, they're both they're Teamsters, and so are the railroads. So Teamsters were asking her to do that. It's like, come on. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I'll have to look more into that. I um, I would like to hear, you know, uh, whether it's AOC or someone who supports her position uh, make the case. Um, I uh, I think um, this was a really unfortunate episode that uh, un- un- really confirmed for a lot of people that the Democratic Party has abandoned workers. And um, uh, we'll see. I mean, there's talk of Biden doing some executive action for sick days or something. We'll see if, if that pans out. But if, you know, the record to date is any guide, it, the, the, there's there's reasons. There's not too many grounds for optimism here. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Well, uh, and then on the main topic, Twitter, uh, you know, I think it's funny. Elon Musk chose Barry Weiss. I mean, the what's a toady on Joe Rogan. <laughs> but it's... Um, that's just what I think of her as. And it's, he's in a real small, stupid circle of like just kind of right wing circle jerking. It's, you know, it's pretty obvious, but yeah. it's, it's whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Well, thanks for sharing your opinion. Uh, that's what this room is for. Uh, left is best. Okay. Hey, Aaron. Hi there. Hey, um, I wanted to um, challenge that last caller's point <clears throat> on the um, on the rail the railway strike. Um, I was wondering, from your understanding, right? Didn't didn't the Democrats pass the bill, a bill to the Senate, right? And then Bernie Sanders and the Senate Democrats added <clears throat> added seven days of sick time, and then the Republicans voted it down. And then everyone blames the Democrats. I I don't follow the logic with that. I'm just, it's really confusing. I'm like, I hear what people are saying, like, oh, the Democrats did this. But then someone who knows how to count Republican and Democratic votes, I don't understand how the the Republicans can vote something down. And yet the Democrats still eat all the blame. Well, I guess the question is, um, once Biden and Pelosi, see, Biden made the decision that, because of the damage to the economy, we have to force the workers back to work. So that part I blame Biden for. And maybe you can say it's unfair to blame like the squad for Biden's decision and that after he made that decision, they had to vote for the best possible option there was, which was try to get seven uh, sick days, you know. Right. Um, but it was but Biden deserves blame because Biden said basically like Biden had a choice to basically, you know, back the workers. Yeah, also, I agree with you. you. I agree with yeah. you. Like the Biden, Biden, you know, there's a lot he can do. I heard yeah. like maybe through an executive order, right, that he can give them this, um, the six days or something like that. But, but this bullshit, in my opinion, about blaming the squad, right, it, it makes absolute no sense. All right, like if I put myself in the, in their situation, you know, I'm in Congress, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders in the Senate. He says, hey, yeah, pass me the bill. I'll add the six days. I'll add the seven sick days in the Senate. Fine, go ahead. Take the bill, Bernie. He has the seven days. Republicans voted down, but yet it's a squad's fault. You know what I'm saying? There, there's a logical fallacy, yeah, the, the, I think, in that. In that, yeah. 
Uh, I, I agree. I, I totally agree that, I mean, and um, I haven't seen personally anybody primarily blame the squad. I think most of the blame has rightly gone to Joe Biden, but, but I agree with you. Uh, I don't as think. It should, you know, as it should. Okay. And then to your main point with Hunter, um, Hunter by Twitter and Hunter Biden's laptop, I think, oh man, there's just so much where mainstream media fails us. It's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's, it's like every instance where they can get something wrong or right, they, they go the route of wrong. You know, and it's, it's, you know, they're wrong, like with the, with the Iraq war, right? And the WMDs, right? They're wrong, you know, when it comes to like Venezuela, <clears throat> you know, the Venezuelan people, they elected this president, right? They, they elected Maduro for a third term, but yet, you know, the media is like, yeah, this guy named this complete rando named Juan Guaido, he's the president of the, of the country now. And it's just like, I don't know how anyone, you know, um, I guess I, I, for normal people who don't deep dive like a lot of people who follow foreign policy, I guess I, I can understand that. I mean, if, if you completely take mainstream media, you know, 100% like they're just truth tellers, then okay, I can see how you can get misled. But it's like, you don't have to do too much digging to realize mainstream media fails at almost every turn. You know, this Hunter, lap, this Hunter Biden's laptop should have been given more cred. You know, it's obviously, you know, uh, Hunter Biden's ties, you know, with Burisma was something that needed to be investigated. Biden, you know, getting that um, attorney fired in, in, in Ukraine should have been something to look into. And, you know, adversely, when Trump was president, you know, Jared's um, uh, loan with Qatar should, in my personal opinion, should have been something that should have been scrutinized. Oh, absolutely. Jared is so Jared, Jared is so unbelievably corrupt. Um, so both sides are are yeah. yeah unbelievably corrupt and yeah. and I put a lot of the blame on our meat our corporate controlled media have has no interest holding powerful people to account you know they 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 get paid to uphold uh, yes. uh corporate uh western hegemony across the world and and corporate interest it's it's ninety nine times out of 10, you know, 99 times out of 100, I discount the mainstream media. And then, and, and then I'll do the investigation on my own, try to put the pieces together because nine times out of 10, they're just, it's just complete garbage and lies. Right. You know, 100, 100 bodies, laptops, yes. a really good example. Yes. Thank you for the call. I appreciate All it. All right, man. Thank you. Okay.
Okay, can you guys still hear me? If you can still hear me. There we go. Okay, I'm back now. All right. Having some technical issues today. You should be able to hear me now. And I'm going to take the next caller. And sorry about that, guys. I, I think I was like, I lost my internet for a second. Okay, Jason, go ahead. Hello, Aaron. I uh, hope you're doing well. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. And again, apologies to everybody for the glitches today. I'm going to, whatever this is going on, I will fix it for next time. So thank you for bearing with me, everybody. Okay. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, before I forget, um, my wife says hi since uh, I had to interrupt dinner. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, uh, uh, apologize to her for me. No problem. Hey, um, you know, uh, big news weekend, I guess. Uh, I think the thing that really bothers me uh, the most was the, um, you know, scrolling through my Twitter feed, you know, after uh, Taibi had released that thread about the Twitter laptop story. Uh, you know, I'm going out, I see Mehdi Hassan saying, oh, Taibi's a right-wing shill and a PR guy from Musk. I scroll down some more, there's another leftist commentator saying the same thing, and then another one. I mean, it's almost like these guys are getting marching orders from someone, uh, and I don't understand. I mean, a lot of these people are journalists themselves. And I don't know what their their ire is with Taibi. I mean, he, I, I don't see him as being biased or anything. He's just reporting, you know, just basic stuff. Of course he is. Uh, you know, partisan hackery has become so normalized where basically anybody who doesn't tow the party line, whether it was like on Russiagate or whether it was on – um, now this story just gets accused of being right wing and Matt Taibbi's always just been a reporter. Uh, that's what he does. He's not very ideological. Um, he's a very talented writer and a very hardworking one. And I think people resent him for basically refusing to tow whatever the partisan lay is. And, um, by the way, you know, what's funny about Mehdi Hassan accusing, uh, Matt I think we lost you, Aaron. All right. Well, maybe it's me. I'm going to, I'm going to hang up and uh, hopefully uh, people can hear you because I'm sure they'd rather hear you than me. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's just mind numbing what, what was going on on Twitter. And uh, thanks. Thanks for taking my call.
and I apologize for the glitches. We're going to keep going a little bit longer. And I apologize, everybody, for uh, these glitches. I, something's happening either with the app or with my internet. I don't know. But anyway, I'm back now. Um, Maria, go ahead. Um, I mean, I, I have some thoughts about the Matt Taibbi business. I, you know, he's made it very clear that, you know, he was disclosed information and he's just clearing his throat because he doesn't know what conditions he can say what about what yet. Uh, But, I mean, who else would you want to be reporting on that? Who else with more integrity? And he's stated he's a busy guy, and he said this is really overwhelming to him. It is the most overwhelming thing that somebody's put on his plate that that he's taking it on. You know, I I don't see I don't see the negative reaction to that as being anything other than people that are just going to be negative about anything, everything, all the time, anyway. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty much the climate right now. People are just negative and they get mad at people like Matt for doing their job. Um, Absolutely. And I did post a link. Uh, It's I paid $25 donation to watch the monk debate, Uh but I did post a free link to it in in the chat. Okay. Um, I've I've watched it three times now. It's it's kind of addictive. Wow. Wow. I I know, I know, but he definitely gave you a high five nod in terms of, you know, being one of the only two people that actually called, you know, the Trump campaign manager to. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that for Matt. That's a nice, it's very rare that I get acknowledgement for anything I did about Russiagate. Uh, It's somehow still considered controversial to not buy into the conspiracy theory that um, Trump was a Russian agent and that Putin brainwashed Americans into voting for, for Trump. And uh, so I appreciate any uh, time the work I did gets acknowledged. So I'm appreciated to Matt for that. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Hi, Aaron. Hi Hi there. Um, I have a question about the incoming Congress. Um, I think it's safe to say nobody expects much to get done legislatively in the next uh, couple of years. Um, Do you think that there's any chance that the Republicans might do a serious um, uncovering of some of the details about Russiagate and the January 6th uh, hearings that's being sort of suppressed right now in favor of the anti-Trump narrative, or do you think they'll just go back to doing their usual performative investigations where they... uh... Yeah. Good question. If I were betting, I'd bet on performative. I don't think... Yeah, so would I, but I, I, you know, I hope that uh, we actually 
get some of that stuff disclosed. But it, yeah, it look, seems with, like no matter uh, which party does what to the other, the one thing that they're both committed to is making sure that uh, any malfeasance done by the uh, three-letter agencies is always yeah. kept under wraps. Look, a great you know question that I ponder every day is why hasn't Hillary Clinton been questioned about Russiagate? As far as I know, John Durham hasn't interviewed her. The Mueller team certainly didn't interview her. Uh, no congressional committee has interviewed her. When, you know, it's document. I mean, everybody was interviewed for Russiagate, like Roger Stone, uh, Randy Credico, if you know him, the comedian radio host. He was interviewed by the House Intelligence Committee over Russiagate. Why hasn't Hillary Clinton been interviewed? And I think the answer is, is they don't want to get to the actual truth because the truth is too damning to the intelligence officials who brought us Russiagate. And some people are just too powerful to touch. So even with a case like Republicans, it would be in their partisan interest, you would think, to get to the truth about Russiagate. Uh, Some people are just too powerful. And Republicans ultimately aren't there to hold the powerful to account. They're just there to enrich themselves and their friends. And uh, that's why I don't think we'll be seeing meaningful accountability from them, even when they control the House. And, you know, back when Devin Nunes was the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, I do think there was some meaningful oversight of the FBI on Russiagate. Um, and a little bit when it comes to uh, what happened in Benghazi, not to do, I don't, you know, like the part that concerns me most is how Benghazi was actually being used to ship weapons to Syria to fight the dirty war there. And Devin Nunes got a little bit of answers on that. Not as much as he could have, but he pressed a little bit. But since he left, I, I just don't think the congressional Republicans that have replaced him are interested in doing any kind of oversight at all. And I think it's too bad because, you know, it's from Congress that we've learned so many important revelations about what our government does. Like the, the church committee hearings were really, really important. Um, and in the eighties, you know, Democrats overseeing Reagan when it comes to his, his dirty wars in central America, that, that the information, but it doesn't seem right now as if anybody's interested in that, but, um, I hope I proved to be wrong. Yeah. Also, in your
Okay, if you guys can hear this, I am back now, but I'm going to end this 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 broadcast because I'm having too many technical issues. Thanks, everybody who tuned in. Thanks for bearing with me. I'll be back next time with these issues fixed. And have a great 